0: everyone, thank you so much for joining us for episode six of season six of the Revise and Resubmit podcast. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama, and right now you would usually hear my co-host, Dr. Annalise Bolin, introducing ourselves, so let's just be perfectly honest. I have pneumonia. She's <laughs> respiratory virus. So it's really hard to get good recording where we don't sound like we're hacking up a lung. So here we go we are throwing at you another one of our in case you missed it episodes and this one is one of my favorites because we're catching up with dr natalie brown devlin who's a promoted associate professor in the stan Richards school of advertising and public relations at the university of tennessee natalie is a former phd student here in the college of communication and information sciences and she has done all sorts of work related to sports communication, crisis communication, and sports-related crises. This is such a fun conversation. You definitely don't want to miss it. If you've heard it before, it's worth listening a second time. If you haven't heard it before, definitely stay tuned. It's a fun one. Hi, is your computer working?
1: It just, it, you know, the mouth stopped moving and I was like, oh,
2: this, this
1: is not okay. But it, you know, you restart and then it works. And then you just lose everything that um, had been there. But, you know, oh, that's all right.
0: Um. So if you look at the dock... I don't have a really fun fact because I haven't been able to find out too too much. Okay. Um, But I know that he was at Miami and Penn State. Now he's south of Chicago, so I just asked a really dumb one. Um, And if it's super dumb, then Mm. you can be like, no, that's too dumb.
1: No, I think that's I think that's good.
0: Okay. Um. So he, let me look him back up again. He was here, he graduated in 2011. So he will have the overlap with Jennings. He currently is an associate chair and associate professor in sport communication. And that's really been his area of research. And I guess I could have asked, oh God, where did it go? Oh, there we go. Um, I guess I could have asked something fun about the Super Bowl or the Super Bowl ads. Um, but he still does research, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say. Okay. Mm. Thank you for responding to Bill um, when I was lying in bed last night trying to clear out the 120 emails that um, I saw it, I was like, I just can't, I don't I don't have it in me to do this response. But
1: Well it's, it's like oh, I, I thought that Jim represented um I'll the, to it. Soon. yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't think there there had to be a feedback loop. And we don't know that
0: any feedback would ever get to us. Right. Well, in, I mean, to be honest, in the meeting yesterday when we were talking about all the people who are being included, like, Bill was mute on everything. So... Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. I, I, I feel like is Jim imi- like, not letting, which I would be angry about, I guess, uh, like, not even giving pause to let Bill speak. Oh, right. right and right. it's that he's just uh, not aware. Yeah. Or if he is, like, uh, uh, being intentional about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, I did... I'm just not as fast of a texter. I did send it to Josh. Okay. Um what words were I going was I going to say? Oh, um the whole like workshop thing is definitely a surprise it's not a bad idea but it would be really great to have looped us in on that um for the sake of planning and then as you said for like ensuring that everyone who's got some space that they utilize can participate in that um that would be kind of cool as well so yeah you know like
1: it's it's fine but are are they I mean it's like are they functioning as APR or are they right ICIR because there's a difference and they're not being inclusive
0: they're being selfish (laughs) absolutely let me go back to the email.
1: And, you know, and, and I, I said to Jameson that who who has not RSVP would for tomorrow, by the way, um, I said, you know, they, the students just aren't coming to things. And he yeah. said he recognized that he thought there should be something every Friday to go to. And I said, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and I said, well, we'll we'll talk about how to change or start changing that expectation. And maybe this is one, but I don't want to have to be somewhere every every, every single Friday. Uh-huh. No. But if it's an expectation, well, then it, A, I mean, it can't overlap with any classes that the students are teaching. And I don't think that I want, I, I don't know. I mean, I think one of the draws to our first Friday is that it is when we provide lunch.
2: Yeah.
3: Okay. Here I am.
0: Hi. 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 Well, I always forget small details like time zone and it's like I think he's in central, but he's not (laughs) be. How are you, Josh?
3: I'm good. How are you? We're
0: doing we are doing well. Um virtual introduction to Dr. Annalisa Bolin, who's the associate director of the icir here with me and the co-host of the podcast thank you for doing this
3: oh absolutely how long did i miss you by
0: oh like three minutes or two okay. minutes Don't okay. worry about it. mm-hmm. it's all good we just whenever um whenever i'm like oh people aren't hopping on i never know if it's a problem with an with the app Or if I've screwed up the time zone. No, it just wasn't
3: loading up the actual episode for me to click on it right away. That was all.
0: Um, So I want to tell you a few things about how this all works, just so that you know. Um, What We're recording right now, Mm -hmm. um, but I can edit it all out. This is not a live taping. We will record all this. Um, and then it will air later in March it's going to air after our spring break Mm -hmm. Um, and really this is just an opportunity to kind of showcase and highlight what you've been doing since you left UA Um, so it's just a a hype talk about you for (laughs) 25 or so minutes okay um we we try to do it in a lot in a one take just because my audio editing skills are a bit limited. Mm-hmm. But if there's any issue, like if anybody drops off the call and we have to stop it, I can piece it together.
2: Okay. Um,
0: and then the last question, I think I sent you the questions. The last question mm-hmm. is always the conference one, and that's kind of the cue that we are wrapping it up. And then yeah. we'll say thanks for joining us. Click um and that's just how it ends so it's not us being rude <laughs> okay no problem <laughs> and then um when we are ready i'm gonna count it down from three we'll have like five seconds of a pause and then i'll say thanks so much for joining us um and what on and i will do is we will record an intro where we introduce you give your title um, and then we'll kind of tease parts of what we talk about right now. So I always let people know if they're like, oh, they didn't even introduce me. We actually do that. Oh, no later. problem. Do you have any questions for us?
3: Uh, no, I'm just glad that uh, it's been so long since I've seen you. Uh, I'm glad you doing well. <laughs> uh, it was at, uh, the sports consortium, which I guess was in like 2014. Yeah. I think the last time i seen yet. you. Yeah. yeah. So no, nope, well, I'm ready to go when you are.
0: Okay, honestly see you good? I'm good. Okay. Three, two, one. Thank you so much for joining us today, Josh. We are thrilled to be able to catch up with you.
3: Happy to be here. Thanks for reaching out
0: absolutely so josh before we get started i have to ask you've been at several universities up and down the united states from (laughs) me to penn state back south to alabama and now you're not too far out of chicago so when you go on vacation do you go south or do you go north
3: usually south i don't i I don't love the uh i guess i got spoiled at alabama i don't love the cold uh anymore so i prefer to stay somewhere warm if i can help it
0: and you're just outside of Chicago, so that's not the warmest location.
3: Yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right,
1: Josh, we're going to keep on learning a little bit more about who you are and what you do. And so we'll ask a couple quick rapid fire questions. So okay. first, where are you from?
3: I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio.
1: Ah, nice. I, I used to walk by an ice skating rink that was outside there. <laughs> Never did the ice skating because that's terrifying. Uh-huh. Always remember that fondly. Okay, next. When were you at the University of Alabama? 2008
3: to 2011.
1: And where are you now?
3: I'm at Bradley. I've been here since August, Bradley University, August of 2011.
0: Nice. So, Josh, mm-hmm. when you were younger, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Did you see this path into academia? I know that we're going to get more into sports and all of that, Mm -hmm. but what did the young Josh think he was going to be when he grew up?
3: Well, the young me figured out at around age 11 that I wasn't a pro athlete. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That I wanted to be involved in sports one way or another. And I really thought a sports broadcasting career was Mm -hmm. the direction I was going. The academic Uh, side of it got to me when I was in college interacting with my professors and um, I kind of liked the lifestyle I I liked at least thought from the outside I liked the job and then I did some tutoring in college and found out that I liked teaching Mm. and that's actually how it happened it was like kind of was around the I I like more of the academic side of things and again, just interacting with my professors, I was about 18 or 19 when I said, you know, I think I might like to do this instead.
2: Wow. Um,
3: and I made that final decision when I started my junior year of college. I'm like, no, that's what I want to do rather than be try to be a sports broadcaster. I'd rather work in academics. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's what I, I'm thinking. So. I think you're the person, <laughs> no. or the person who made this kind of thought, had this thought at the youngest age. Mm-hmm. Is it?
3: Okay. Yeah, that's about 18 or 19.
0: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, shifting gears just a little bit, um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the scholarship that you do and have done in the past?
3: Yeah. Um, starting with my master's uh, program, I focused the majority, at least most of my initial work, on issues of race and sports. And so I wrote my master's thesis on race and sport. Um, I wrote my dissertation on issues of race and sport. Um, I published with Amy uh, Jones mm-hmm. on issues of race and sport and, and the role that fandom played. Uh, and then Keenan uh, Brown and Mia Anderson and I have published a lot on on issues of race and sport. And then we've done a lot with like uh, social identity theory that was one of my that's one of my favorite theories um the role of the sports fan we've done a lot of that that have uh tied into um like fan identity how strong your fan um your fan identification is along with um often your racial identification um we also have or and we've also published uh, multiple times on the role that those factors play with um, athletes. I, I, I don't like to say the word in trouble, but I guess i have gotten themselves in some kind of trouble. Mm-hmm. So what is the role? How do fans evaluate an athlete's transgressions based off of certain factors like their race or like how big of a sports fan they are? Um, And then I can remember uh, very vividly, one of my first publications here at Bradley was Keenan and me and I doing um, a publication on LeBron James and the decision. Mm. And I was still at Alabama when he did that. And I remember watching it and thinking it was the worst thing I'd ever seen on television. And I've seen, (laughs) where's my car? Uh, (laughs) And I remember calling Keenan and said, we've got to write something about this. And we published on that. And then I, one other one, that's been one of my favorite publications we ever did. And it was another, I was, I was at my house here in in Illinois and I was watching real sports. And uh, they did a segment on trophy culture in Mm -hmm. America, participation trophies, stuff like that. I remember emailing Keenan and Mia the next day and said, we've got to do a study on this. We've got (laughs) to see what the impact, the negative impact of trophy culture is. And we, it was a great study. We had a lot of fun with it, but we found out it's such a real thing. The negative impact of trophy culture on American society, because we were both very big believers and all three of us were big believers in the role that sports play in making you a well-rounded sort of person teaching Mm -hmm. you how to deal with adversity and whatnot. And that we're sort of tearing that apart. And the study we conducted actually found that it was bleeding all the way into higher levels of college life that based off of their experience in this, quote unquote, trophy culture world, very much impacted um, how they felt like they should be treated in their adult life, if you will.
2: Mm.
1: OK, so I'm going to I'm going to keep going down this line. Mm hmm you could come up with one headline and don't use your article title
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> for that study. Yeah. What would that be?
3: I would say my, my title for that is, um, I would say, how would I say it? The trophy culture or the participation participation culture is destroying the, Values that America claims it was built upon. That's Ooh, what. I would call that.
0: Okay, I like.
2: Yeah,
3: that's okay. what I would call it. I was. It was very. It, I was very passionate about that project because I, you know, I don't know if you've ever read this, but the vast majority of Fortune 500 CEOs in this country are former athletes. Oh. Because they learn what it means to struggle, mm. and keep fighting. And if you remove the struggle, then what's the point? If the point of playing the game is to win it Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: other than that then what are you doing out there you're just exercising (laughs) okay like and yeah and it really bothered me and you know and i see this now i'm more intimately involved in these youth tournaments with sports and yep everybody's getting a trophy everybody's getting the same thing And i'm like well, what did they Hmm. that award and so I think that, you know, sports provides a foundation on which helps us become a well-rounded person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? I, I think a participation culture, and it went beyond, we didn't just focus just on sports. We focused on our school system and things like that as well. That, you know, identifying that we all have certain strengths and weaknesses isn't a bad thing.
0: mm mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so I have many follow up questions. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and um, so some of this may be part of what you've studied, and part of it may just be thinking out your opinion. Yeah, sure. um, so, certainly, younger kids who participate in athletics, you definitely have this trophy culture, participation culture going on. <laughs> yes. T-ball, baseball, everything. But then there's a point. And it it could be middle school, often high school. And you look at these students, high school students, who are, you know, trying to play at the collegiate level. And at that point, I feel like the trophy culture kind of disappears Mm -hmm. and then you to weave in kind of the politics of sport you know like we're Mm -hmm. and it could be dependent upon the sport that you play but you know getting to showcase events or getting to combines and getting the invite and getting on the field when the college coach is going to be there I mean you would like to think that if if you've got the skills that you're going to be the one um, or you know part of the group that is out there playing to potentially get identified by a college coach to go play but yep. it doesn't happen because you have all these other factors that are that are kind of introduced there so what do you think about all that and when does this you know shift between participation culture to we're literally going to like suck your soul out Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and maybe you'll play in college and maybe you won't. Like, when does that all happen?
3: You know, it's such an interesting question. um, uh, Because we were having a brief discussion about that in class, uh, you know, today where because of this sort of, you know, uh, and it can start with parents, parents can often be the biggest precipitators of this if they're overestimating you know, the skills set of their kids who want their kids to specialize in just one sport, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Or say, you shouldn't play this sport until you're like 13. I'm like, well, yeah, if you're a phenom who's going to have like a 20-year pro career, maybe you shouldn't play till you're 13. But if your life in this sport ends at 17, Mm -hmm. go ahead and play a little younger because you have a shelf life. Right. You you know, the question you asked is a great one where, um, you, you know, I say this in the most respectful way, the athletes that make it to those top levels of even high level college to, to professional levels are athletic freaks, right? Like they can just do things that 99.9% of the rest of the world cannot do.
2: Yep.
3: And so, yeah, you know, it's, you want to foster an, you know, an identity of because participation in things is a good thing, right? Like we need to get kids off of electronics and being exercising and, you know, and running. And that stuff is good. Um, and yes, you hit, you know, it's, we're starting to make it go a little later and later, but it used to be like by middle school, you know, certainly by junior high, you would start to see certain players um, separate themselves, you know, mm-hmm. if you will. And, you know, but even back to when I was in high school, which has been a long time ago, uh, I certainly played with a couple, a few guys, at least, who were dramatically overestimating how good, you know, they were. And that usually started at home. You know, oh, yeah, that's with, true. Yeah.
2: With parents
3: who were so sure that their kid was a star. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think you, you thought this through. Uh, because... <laughs>
0: You based know, on my direct observation yeah so
3: watch, I'm watching like you're not any better than I am and I am definitely not a star <laughs> um and so i I think that you know you as you get older you you start to see the better players emerge right and um it doesn't mean you can't still play the sport right it just means you have to have realistic expectations about what this sport can do for you or where it's going to take you
2: hmm
1: OK, so I have a question about this study and some of the other studies that you do is um, how do you do them like methodologically? And what I'm hoping you say is you put people in a room and you tell them to compete and then you say you don't get a trophy.
3: Um, well, what we did, we all three of us, th- that was a three person project uh, with Keenan and me and I. And we we're quantitative workers. Um, I'm a big believer in numbers and we comprised uh, we had a subject pool and we asked them different questions um, about you know say trophy culture about participation trophy all the way up to how they believe they should be handled in their their current life like say some of our subjects were in college and one of the things that we found shocking was that those that believed most strongly in participation culture believed that as a university student That if they attended every class, Mm. they deserved at least a B. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean a B? (laughs) Like, you mean you showed up, so you deserve – and that was where – that was probably the most shocking result of that study. I'm like, wow, that's even worse than I thought. Mm. You know, it could be – so we usually do, like, survey analyses, stuff like that. For some of the studies we did with athlete transgressions, we produced – you know, like newspaper accounts of fictitious okay. athletes, but had different. They played different sports, or they and they had different um, ethnic backgrounds, and then analyze and different and different levels of transgressions, and we were able to analyze in a large study how the role of the sport they played, the role of the the uh, ethnic background, and how serious was the thing they did. Mm and how that impacted how subjects viewed them it was stuff like that the main way we did it a lot of survey analysis a lot of experimental design okay
0: awesome well okay so let me circle back around to where you started in terms of um your first sort of foray into research looking Mm -hmm. at issues of race and sport so i'm curious if your findings or how your findings have changed just over the last decade, because we've seen, you know, so many different social issues just in the last few years. Uh-huh. And I have to wonder if that has dramatically affected, you know, what you have found or could you just tell us a little bit more about all of that? Cause I'm so interested in that piece of it.
3: Thanks. Yeah, we've seen a lot of changes. Um, if, if I went back, so when I finished my, my master's degree, th- my thesis was in 2006, um, and then my dissertation was in 2011, up to today, yeah, there's been a definite progression of certain social issues which have been highlighted. Um, that has been part of it. That has made people perhaps more aware, subjects more aware. Um, we are certainly finding that diehard sports fans, they can block a lot of that out. Mm. Right. And there is certainly, there's no doubt that there's a racial component to this. Every study we've done has found a racial component to how different races view sports or view athletes, or most, most importantly, view athletes who've gotten in a certain amount of trouble. Another impact that we haven't, and I know it's something we want to, um, look at in the future and we've talked about it um here i I, i'm not sure if you notice but we do it when things are normal we do a yearly symposium in our sports comm program where we invite different people to talk about different topics one of the panel ideas that we're not planning to do this year but we're planning to do it in the future is on cancel culture
2: Mm. Mm. and
3: because we think that cancel culture has dramatically impacted the kind of results we get because people are more concerned with giving the socially desired response Mm. As opposed to what they really think, um, and I and I think that that has been a very real issue. Is five to ten years rather than saying what somebody really thinks, they say, "Well, here's what I'm supposed to say," mm. um, and so that that has impacted it as well. Yes, yeah, do I think people are more culturally aware? I certainly hope they are. Mm. Um, if they aren't, I can't. I don't really know what to say to that. Um, but it certainly doesn't mean that we are that all of our race issues, gender issues are things of the past because they're certainly not. Um, they're alive and well. Um, and if you, there's a quote from the Billings book that I teach, where Brian Gumble on the race chapter says that the combination of race and sport is the third rail of polite discourse, mm. a subject wow. sure to burn those who try to speak about it honestly.
1: Mm. Wow.
3: And I find that to be one of the best quotes I've ever read because I think it's true, is that anytime you look at it, you go, well, how true is what we're seeing? How much of what you see on TV um, is what somebody really thinks and what they think they're supposed to say?
1: Hmm. You know, I mean, I think one of the, the things that, that I'm thinking about here is just how how research research may not change exactly. Mm-hmm methods may not exactly but there's like we can't just say oh studied that check and then be done with it because there's there's so much change in the world mm-hmm. that we keep learning new things and then we can study them and then the more mm-hmm. knowledge we build mm-hmm. the better understanding that we have of you know, life which is cool keep, keeps us all in business right? <laughs> agree
3: yeah it keeps us working right yeah.
1: <laughs> question about um so you just said that there's you you teach in class about sport and -hmm. communication and your research is around sport and communication so how are you do you teach are, are you able to teach a lot of kind of what you've found in your research in class
3: You know what? I I guess I would say, and I'm not trying to get ahead of where we were going. One of the most interesting things is uh, Keenan and me and I recently completed a book. And (gasps) and thank you. And what was interesting was how often whatever chapter I was writing coincided with exactly what we were talking about in class.
2: Nice. (laughs) Oh, wow. It
3: was a lot of fun for me. I don't think my students were as excited about it as I was. I'm like, this is so cool. They're like, oh, whatever. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. It was exciting to me. But yeah, you know, I found that so much of the research we've done has coincided with the sports com classes. I teach even I also teach general education courses or general com classes here. So like I've taught for years. I was the uh, the professor for the intro, the survey of communication course, mm-hmm. um, and you could tie in a lot of what we did. I also theory and research methods here. And it's been fun to talk about those things. But in my certainly in my sports classes, a lot of those subjects have really lined up. Mm. Um, and it's it's to me, it's, I, again, I try to make it as exciting for the students as I can. But like I'm like, this is neat. Like I've been doing all this <laughs> research and writing, and today I get to talk about it mm. uh, in class. So, yeah, I've, I found that particularly, like I said, with the, the book project, that really lined up.
0: Okay, so I'm going to totally shift gears on you here. Um, mm-hmm. We seem to do that a lot in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know when you were at UA, you had an opportunity to be here when Dr. Jennings Bryant was, was here as well. Yes. And I was wondering if um, you had a Jennings story that you wanted to share or wanted to talk about an interaction or a class that you had taken.
3: Yeah, I'll tell a couple. I, I, I'll tell two. One, at first, wasn't even, it was before I even met him. I was at Penn State still, and I had been accepted into the doctoral program, and I was, I mean, I was scouring the website looking for how do you apply for an assistantship,
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: and I could not find it, and I'm like, I don't (laughs) want to look dumb to Dr. Bryant, but I, I mean, I looked, I mean, I looked, I looked, I couldn't find anything, so I finally sent him an email, I said, I apologize, I said, but I am so excited to attend university of alabama i said but i have been looking on this website forever how do i go about applying for an assistantship and i got an email back from him very quickly they said you just did congratulations you got one (laughs) yeah so i i hadn't missed it there just wasn't a form that i could find and that's how i got an assistantship at alabama was i emailed him i (laughs) that's right and i did take a class with him um and we had some interactions which were always uh, very positive. I think um, one of my most meaningful um, interactions with Dr. Bryant was I was I was teaching a class on persuasion, um, and I had a, a student who. Um, he just wasn't very engaged in the class. He wasn't showing up a lot. His, his grade was uh, very poor and I got like an email from him and then an email from another professor who he wasn't, he wasn't a, um, he was, who was in his major and there was a, a decent amount of, of pressure to try to give this guy a passing grade. Hmm. And I was like, well, you know, you're a graduate student and you, You know, you don't really, you don't know what your stature is. And I went and met with Dr. Bryant. I said, look, here's the deal. I said, I'm getting some external pressure from this professor to pass this guy.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: And he looks at me and he goes, well, you can't do that. I said, well, that's what I said. I go, I just want to make sure I have your support. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: He said, you have my support 100%. I, I do know that that turned into a bigger deal from the, the professor who was trying to give some external pressure to me did really raise a problem with him and he did support me
0: mm. through that.
3: And I never personally heard about it again. It was Diane who told me about it. Uh, I don't know if she retired yet or not. No, nope, um, He's still here. So here. She's the one who told me that she goes, there was a huge problem in here. And I'm like, well, that's why I went to see him first. Um, but I, I, you know, it was his name that first brought me to the University of Alabama, and I did have a lot of fun taking his class. Um, but I always found that, you know, if you had a problem or an issue, he was very supportive, hmm. you know, of you. And I, I always really appreciated that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So, Josh, I wanna, I wanna
1: ask you now that you've been in academia for. A little, a little bit of time. Yeah. Uh, think, thinking back to your 18, 19-year-old self and, mm-hmm. and kind of everything that you've uh, been through, through, well, through doctoral program, and then now, not only as a faculty member, but also kind of getting even into administration, um, yep. is, is it all that you thought it was going to be?
3: You know, it is. And that's one of the greatest things about this is, I love my job. Mm. Um, I've never gotten in my car to drive to work and went, oh, my God, I hate this. Mm. I don't want to do this. And that is a great treat. And I know there's a lot of people in this world who go to a job every day that they don't like. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm so thrilled that I'm not one of them. Um, When I was coming out of Alabama, I wanted to go to a teaching first university because I love to teach. Mm. I like research a lot, but I love to teach. And I have just found a really great balance here at Bradley. Um, I have an active research agenda, but I, uh, I've gotten to teach a large variety of classes. I mean, many different, and I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, I'm very thankful that it wasn't one of those things where I was finishing up going, wow, I did this thinking it would be like this. And oh, I don't. like And I've seen that here. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with people here who were like, yeah, this isn't what I thought it would be. Um, And it's like, well, that's unfortunate, right? (laughs) Like, because you put a lot of work to get here. Um, I'm very thrilled. No, it's lived up. And actually, you know, as administrative opportunities have come my way, much to, I guess, not much much, a little bit to my surprise. I've enjoyed that a lot, too. Mm -hmm. Because I know a lot of people go, no, thank you. I don't want that. I like that quite a bit. Uh, doing the administrative side of the job Um, and so no i fortunately for me it has worked out like i thought it would
1: excellent that's great to hear
3: yes i'm very happy myself thank you
0: (laughs) um so i feel like we could have this conversation continue for another hour or 20 um, <laughs> yeah. but we're already at this point where we are wrapping it up sure. you had mentioned or referenced um, you know when things return to normal and so I wondered um, if you had an academic conference that you were looking forward to attending or a place you were looking forward to going when we do finally somewhat get back to normal.
3: Yeah, I do. Well, first, like you said, we do our yearly symposium and we can't wait to, we were going to do that in March. Mm -hmm. And I always reach out to my Alabama people um, that are, that are interested in it and try to get them out here as much as possible. We were going to do it in in March and then we got worried about Omicron, Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm. which is,
3: by the way, turned out not to be that bad, I guess, you know, we're returning to normal very rapidly here um, at Bradley, finally. Mm. Um, over the last couple of weeks as people said, okay, you know, we seem to have this under control. Um, you know, I guess just from back in my Alabama days, AEJ was always such a big conference yeah. and, and yeah. Um, we presented Keenan and me and I did virtually in August and it was just a terrible experience. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I was yep. like, this isn't a, exactly a, at all, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what I had in mind, um, doing this. And so, yeah, like we almost always submit something to AEJ. And so if I could go there and then NASA was always a conference that I enjoyed a lot, mm-hmm. it was probably my favorite sports conference. And yeah, I, I basically, I spent, except for the AEJ, I spent a couple of years not doing conferences cause I didn't want to do them virtually.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, in fact, when we got worried about Omicron and the question came up, what do you want to do the symposium virtually? I, I, as the director of the school, I got to say, absolutely not. You I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. Not happening. Totally. Um, and so the probably AEJ, cause it's always been such a good experience.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, and again, it was just so different trying to do it via zoom and I, I didn't like it at all.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. That was a struggle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh, it's been so great getting to catch up with you today. And we are certainly grateful that you took time out of your busy day to catch up with, catch up with us. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you guys. It's been a lot of fun. I can't believe it's been 11 years since I was at Alabama. That's (laughs) shocking too. So long.
0: Well, maybe we'll catch up at AEJ then. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Thanks, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.